I would say don't be afraid mm -hmm. to make that step to try um, because the Lord, I believe, will really surprise you mm. with who he puts together in the group. We have four uh, couples and two single. We just learn from one another and... I think not looking at what you've had in the past, but looking for what could happen, what the opportunities are. And yeah, there's a little awkwardness at, far, at first, but you know, sometimes God works through that awkwardness just to provide an opportunity for you to connect with other people. And I think it's also not just about what you can get from the group, but I think what each person can bring to the group, I think that's really important, you know, because as we sit and discuss, and uh, our group in particular is talking about the sermon series. And so we go back over what the sermons have been. We meet every other week. But being able to do that and realize that each person contributes a little bit, I think is really helpful. So it's not just a matter of what you can get from the group, but I think also what you bring to the group that's important. Good morning. Great to see you, New City. For those of you who are watching us online, grateful to have you joining us as well. And I just wanna encourage you that if you're not in a group and you call New City your home, uh, this is a great chance to jump into community. Uh, one of our values here is that community is our design. We believe that the best context for discipleship or growing up in your faith in Jesus is in the context of community. And that's why God gave us the church, gave us one another. And so the easiest way to jump into a group here, I know it can be intimidating uh, to grow, go from a row into a circle, uh, but the easiest way to do that is through group link. And it happens next Sunday night, October 16th. Can you believe next Sunday is already October 16th? It's from 5 to 7 p.m. at our Matthews location, but it's for South Park and Matthews, all of New City. And you can capture the QR code here and it'll take you to a link to register, or you can go on the app or the website, newcity.us, and look for group link and register. Uh, it's free, dinner is provided, childcare is provided. We wanna to try to take every hurdle out of the way for you to come and experience group link. And just to say, you know, group link is sort of like speed dating, I've never done that, but if you have speed dating for community, which sounds really weird, um, but when you get there, it'll make sense. We've got a lot of groups that are open and group leaders that are just starting groups. And so we'll, we'll have dinner together and conversation, and then you'll have a chance to mingle and meet different groups and kind of find your people. And it, it sounds a little strange, but it works. And our goal is for you to find your circle, your group here at New City, and get connected. And so group link, again, next Sunday night, October 16th from 5 to 7 p.m. Would love to have you join us at our Matthews location. Again, you can scan the QR code here or go to our website to register. We're continuing our series, our journey through the book of Judges. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have the New City app or a Bible app on your phone, I wanna encourage you to open to the book of Judges. And we're gonna uh, be introduced to our, our newest judge today and his name is Gideon. And I'm going to begin actually with a, a New Testament passage uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. You say, well, why are we uh, beginning a, a study of Judges and Gideon with a New Testament passage? But I think the Apostle Paul captures a few important words in the story, particularly the calling of Gideon that I want to highlight today at the beginning. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul writes, for, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief 
produces death. And again, you say, man, this is kind of a strange passage to start a study of Judges with. But those two words, and if you just want to write them down, if you're taking notes on your phone or on your journal, uh, repentance and regret are two words that are really important to the story, particularly the calling of Gideon, as we find it in Judges chapter 6. And it reminds me, this passage, the idea of the difference between repentance and regret, you know, a worldly grief and a godly grief reminds me of a repeating conversation, and maybe this happened in your house too growing up, a conversation that was on repeat in my house with my dad in particular was something like this. I would kind of do my own thing and make mistakes, mess up, and my dad would come and talk to me and give me a boundary or some kind of consequences for that uh, mistake or that decision, and I would begin a process of negotiating with him to try to get out of the consequence or get through it as quickly as possible so that I could get back to doing what I wanted to do and making my own decisions. And this happened over and over and over. Did that happen in your house? Happened over and over and over again. And I do remember at one point as I got older, my dad saying to me in that repeated conversation of my you know, bad decisions and consequences that would come from that saying, you know, Chris, this really isn't about the consequences and you trying to get through it as quickly as possible to get your freedom back. It's really about why do you keep getting these consequences? Why do you think you, you, you get in this situation in the first place? Anybody relate to that? And when we get to Judges chapter 6 and we're introduced to Gideon, we find the people of God, Israel, in this repeated conversation. And there's consequences to their bad decisions to forget God and go on their own. But God is always interested, and it's true for us as well, at getting to the heart, the reason why we keep making bad decisions. And so let's catch up to the story there if you've got your scriptures open in Judges chapter 6 and begin with verses 1 and 2. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So here we go, bad decision. They forget God. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord hands them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and in the strongholds around the promised land. So if you just get the context that the the promised land that God gave to the people of Israel to possess and take possession of and to live in and to enjoy the bounty of a land that was flowing with milk and honey is promised to them. Now they're on the run and hiding in caves and strongholds and in the mountains because of the Midianites. And ultimately, it was because, again, of their bad decisions to forget the Lord and to to go on their own and do what they want to do. And this time, the opposition is worse than it ever has been. They've had subjugations of eight years, 18 years, 20 years. Now it's only seven years, but the Midianites were different from all their other enemies, from the Canaanites and everybody else, because the Midianites were only interested and plundering the possessions of God's people. They weren't interested in political gain, they only wanted financial gain. In fact, uh, a really cool word, verse three, is marauders. And uh, the Midianites are called marauders. When we were studying that this week, I said that would be a great minor league baseball team name for for somebody. Uh, The marauders, basically a land pirate. That's all they wanted to do was come and plunder and take everything that God had given to the people of God, the Israelites, the Midianites wanted to to take it away from them. And so the people of God, don't don't miss this in the context of the calling of Gideon and being introduced to him here in chapter six. 
The people of God are living in the land of promise, the land of milk, uh, milk and honey, the land of God's provision and blessing, and they're on the run because after um, conversation and bad decision after bad decision after bad decision and consequence after consequence after consequence, they're still on this cycle of sin. And now, instead of just inviting God to live among their idols and to live among evil people, now those evil people and idols have evicted God's people from their homes, from the promised land, and they're on the run. And, and it's worse than it ever has been. And guess what happens next out of this context of subjugation and, and these land pirates taking everything from God's people and then being starving and, and running and hiding? The people of God do what? Look at verse six. Out of that terrible circumstance, they cry out for, what's the one word prayer that God wants to hear more than any other prayer from us? Help, help. And God always hears that prayer. But this time he answers in a different way. He doesn't just raise up a judge like Othniel or Ehud or, or Deborah or Barak some of the other judges that we've met along the way. This time, in answer to their cry for help, God raises up first a prophet. Look at the passage, Judges chapter 6. He hears their prayer and he delivers a sermon, if you will, before he delivers salvation. So the word judge, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time and jumping into our series, when we think about a, a judge, we think about a litigator in a courtroom, in a robe, right? But judges in this time were deliverers. They were, they were leaders. They were redeemers. Uh, Tim Keller says that the way we should understand a judge in this time period is, a, is as a little Jesus, and so God would raise up these imperfect, of course, men and women to point us to the ultimate judge that he was going to send, Jesus. But before he sends the redeemer, the rescuer in this situation, being subjugated to the Midianites and losing everything, all of their land and their food and, and running and starving, uh, you know, because of that, God raises up a prophet. Look at verse 7. So they cry out to the Lord because of Midian, and the Lord sends a prophet to the Israelites. So again, God's first response here in this judge cycle is not to send a deliverer or um, you know, a savior, it's to send a sermon through a prophet. Now what does a prophet do? We've talked about this before. A prophet hears from God and speaks to God's people. So the, a prophet is a conduit of God's voice and truth to God's people. And so God raises up an unnamed prophet here to speak his truth to his people in the midst of their difficult circumstances because he knows that rather than just delivering them from said circumstances that were very difficult, he's got to get to the heart of why they continue to find themselves in that circumstance. Why do you keep sinning and forgetting the Lord and doing this? In other words, God is after the heart, so he gives this sermon. And it's a two-part sermon, okay? You ready? It, look at verses 8 through 10. Uh, God says, you know, I've brought you out of Egypt. I, I've delivered you and rescued you. I defeated your enemies and brought you into this land, this promised land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. And, and so here's what I have done for you. That's part of the, uh, one of the sermon. Remember, we said that all the Old Testament can be summarized in one word. Do you remember what it is? Remember. So God says, remember, 
Remember that I rescued you, I I redeemed you, I've given you a land, I've given you a place, I've provided for you, I've defeated your enemies. And then here's the second part of the sermon, okay? The first part is remember what I've done, and here's the second part of the sermon. Verse 10, remember what you've done. You haven't listened. And, And the word for listen in the Hebrew Testament is shma, which means to obey. So to hear and to do were one and the same, And in other words, if you didn't act on it, you never really heard it. And so God says, you never heard it. You never listened to me. I delivered you, but you wouldn't listen to me. So he gives this sermon to God's people. He brings a prophet before he brings a judge. And in this way, let's come back to our two words of, if if you've written them down, regret and repentance. What God discerns, which is true for many of us as well, is that the people of God in their circumstance and crying out to him in Judges 6, 6, They regret what's happened. I regret that I'm living in a cave. I regret that I'm starving. I regret that that, uh, we're not living uh, as God intended us to. I regret that all of my life and circumstances have changed. And for many of us, we come to different points in our life, and maybe you're there today where you go, I just really regret that I find myself in the situation and circumstances that I'm in. And maybe you cry out to God for that. And God longs to hear that prayer, but he, he's asking another question in return. Do you, you might regret your circumstances, but, but do you repent in your heart? Are, are you willing to, to look at your motives and your heart that have caused or allowed these circumstances to come? And in this way, if you're writing notes, regret focuses on the circumstances of my life. In other words, regret oftentimes is about the horizontal circumstances or situations that I find myself in. And so I I might have regrets about the places I find myself or the situations or the relationships or difficulties. And I really look back on decisions that I've made and and I am filled with regret about decisions that I've made. Repentance is the deeper work. Okay, regret, if regret is about horizontal, repentance is about vertical. Repentance focuses on my relationship with the Lord, on the heart. And what God discerns here, I think, with his people is that, yes, you regret that you find yourself in difficult circumstances. Most people would. But are you really uh, repentant about why you've gotten into this circumstance, why you've chosen to get back on the ride again and get into this sin cycle? Tim Keller says, regret is all about us. This is a difficult word, I know. But regret tends to focus on me and my circumstances where repentance focuses on the Lord. And when I'm inconsolable, have you ever been, you don't need to raise your hand, but any of you ever been just inconsolable about circumstances or something happening in your life? And Keller says, when I'm inconsolable about something or someone, it often means that I've made that someone or something into God. I've, I've made that said person into my savior or my deliverer or my rescuer. And I know this hits close to home for many of us, that when we feel inconsolable about a relationship that's ended or a job situation or a financial burden or something, that oftentimes it, it, it highlights the value or the worth that we've placed on that person or that thing. And you've heard me say before that when we place our, our, the weight of our worship, because all of us bring a weight of worship, God made us to worship. And when we place the weight of worship on another person or another thing, even a good thing or person, it'll crush them. They can't handle the weight of our worship, only, only God can. 
And so if you, if you want to crush your kids or crush your, your spouse or crush your, your, your job or whatever it might be, put an expectation on them or a value or worth on them that they can't stand. They, they can't hold up to the weight of our worship. Only God can. And so part of what's being highlighted here for the Israelites is, yes, you regret that all of this has happened, that you're starving and you're living in a cave. Of course you do. But do you truly repent in your heart for the reasons why you got here? And just to say on this, all of us stumble and have lapses in judgment and decision-making on our journey with Christ. And one of the things that I think we have to look at honestly uh, to, with ourselves and in the context of community, thinking about the, the goal of community and sitting in a circle where other people can know you and you can know them and they can speak into your life and pray for you and hold you accountable. One of the questions to ask is, is this a problem or is this a pattern? You know, all of us stumble, all of us sin and fall short. All of us, until we get to heaven, will continue to do that. And we have problems and we have struggles, but there's a difference between a problem and a pattern, I continue to do this over and over and over and over again. And the reason why we have the, 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 the icon that we do for this series is that Ferris wheel that just goes round and round and round. And that's what we see happening with Israel. And maybe, just maybe, guys, it happens with us. I don't know. Maybe it happens with us too, that we find ourselves repeating and getting back on that broken ride over and over and over again. And maybe you're not making... I hope you're not um, a, a golden calf, you know, and constructing that. Um, and we kind of read about that and we go, I would, never, I would never take gold and melt it down and make it into an image. How silly. It's ridiculous. Um, let me just, you know, get into my nice car here. Let me just pull into my neighborhood, my, my whatever. Whatever that is for us. Nothing wrong with having nice things. But when they become the ultimate thing, which is the definition of this word idolatry, to take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing. And when it becomes the ultimate thing, even the said good thing, it will, it will, it will be crushed under the weight of our, of our worship. And I want you to see something here because to me, this is the gospel and the story of Gideon and the calling of him in Judges 6. That God's delivering this sermon and this prophet before he, before he gives the, the judge and rescues them from their circumstance because he, he cares about our hearts more than he does about our circumstances. But even in the midst where there's not a recorded repentance here, right? So God gives the message, remember what I've done? Remember what you've done? And there's no recorded response. There's no uh, recording that people fell down and just said, oh, we, we repent and we turn our hearts back to you. But even before the people of God respond or repent, or maybe even if they don't, which is not recorded here, God is raising up a judge. He is raising up a deliverer. He is bringing about salvation to the people even before they turn their hearts to him. And his name, the name of the judge, and this instance in chapter 6 is Gideon. And so uh, look at verses 11 and 12, the calling of Gideon here. So God gives the sermon, now he's going to bring salvation. He gives a prophet to deliver a word to the heart about repentance. And now he's going to raise up a judge that's going to redeem and rescue people from their circumstances. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, of the clan of Ebiezer, Gideon the son of Joash was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. 
So the angel of the Lord is watching this man named Gideon in the midst of God delivering a sermon and giving a prophet to to speak to the heart of the problem and why do you continue to do this over again? Even before the people show any sign of repentance, God is already raising up a deliverer, recruiting someone to bring about salvation and that's grace. And this is the worst possible, you you could miss it, but this is the worst possible moment arguably for Gideon. Where do we find him here in verse 11 and 12 specifically? He's in a wine press, okay? A wine press that was built down into the ground. So he's in a hole. And why is he down in that wine press? Remember the marauders, the land pirates. They'll take everything. So Gideon has learned, I've got to thresh my grain in a hidden place in a hole, an old wine press, so I can just get enough food to feed my family. So Gideon is hiding. He's afraid. He's weak because he's starving and he's trying to provide from his family. And it's down at the bottom of this hole that the angel of the Lord is watching him and comes to Gideon and says, there's my hero. Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And Gideon must have been like, what? I'm in a hole. I'm trying to hide from my enemies. I'm just trying to get enough grain for my family. What are you What are you even talking about? And I love this because God speaks truth into Gideon's circumstance and defines who Gideon is beyond his situation and he does the same for us. And God is, watch this, is commissioning a judge, a deliverer, to redeem his people, again, even before they show any inkling of turning their hearts back to him. And of course, the prophet here in Judges 6 and the, and the judge, the deliverer in Judges 6, Gideon, reminds us of John the Baptist, the prophet, the preacher, and Jesus, the deliverer. God sends the sermon before he does salvation. The sermon, the prophet to prepare the way, which was what John the Baptist was charged with doing, prepare the way for the Lord. And many people see John the Baptist as the final Old Testament prophet who comes and speaks for God to the people and proclaims the kingdom of God, preparing the way for Messiah. And then here comes the judge, the redeemer, Jesus himself to to bring salvation for people. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 8, if you're taking notes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we showed that, you know, we were worthy. It wasn't then when we turned towards God and repented, turned our hearts towards God and said, you're right, I keep doing the same things over and over and over again. Maybe, maybe I'm the problem. No, before, before we did any of that, before we had any desire to turn our hearts to God, God came towards us. And here's the deal, guys. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Because every other world religion says you have to do something to make your way towards God. You need to keep these five pillars. You need to say these three prayers. You need to achieve this state of self-actualization so you'll be able to achieve nirvana, which means nothingness. So that's your reward for all this great behavior is that you would just be reabsorbed in this universe that repeats itself over and over and over again. Every other world religion says you've got to be something or do something to attain God's love, except for one that isn't really a religion at all. 
Christianity says Jesus came towards you and died for you when you were still sinning and running the other direction. And the gospel is all over this story. The people of God are on the ride, spinning, continuing to forget the Lord and sin against the Lord. And God gives a sermon to speak truth to their hearts, but he also gives a deliverer to to give salvation from their circumstance. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. God demonstrates his love and speaks his love even, no, especially when I don't deserve it. And that's what grace is. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is, getting, is not getting what I deserve. And mercy is a wonderful thing. But grace is even better that I get what I don't deserve. I'm invited to the table of the king to be a son or daughter of the most high God. And God, look at verse 11 here and 12. What is God doing is getting us at the bottom of that wine press in a hole, threshing grain, trying to just get enough food to provide for his family. God's watching God's watching all of it. The Bible says in Exodus 2 that the Lord sees and the Lord knows. And maybe for some of you here today, for someone in here today, you need to hear that God sees you and God knows you. God's watching you. And God is speaking into your circumstances. He's looking down into a hole to a man who is fearful, who's hiding, and he's saying, there's my mighty warrior. He's speaking truth and defining who he is. And some of you might be in a hole today. You might find yourself in a very difficult situation or circumstance. Some of you are hiding today. You're hiding from someone else. You're hiding even from God, right in plain sight in church. For some of you, your circumstances are tragic. I know that. As your pastor, I know that, and I hear that. Some of you are facing a diagnosis, a a divorce, a situation in your life that just seems insurmountable. Some of you are lonely in here today. God speaks into those situations, those circumstances, into your loneliness, tragedy, sickness, hunger, pain, weakness, and speaks his truth and identity. Gideon says, don't miss this, I'm the weakest man in the weakest tribe. I'm the weakest in my family. In other words, what is Gideon saying? I'm the weakest man in Israel. There is no one God that is weaker than me. And God says, yeah, but you're my mighty warrior. I see you this way. And I wonder today for some of you, before we go further, that that's the word that God needs to speak to your heart today, that you need to be reminded of who you are and that you're not defined by your circumstances, your bank account, your relationship status. You're defined by who God says you are. And when we look to the cross, let's remember together, when I look to the cross, I'm reminded of my need for God's grace and it should humble me in my pride and remind me that but for the grace of God and the work of Jesus on the cross, I will not meet God's standard. That should humble each of us. But Jesus willingly went to that cross and that should fill me with a godly confidence that God loves me and and sees me as worthy to receive his grace and his mercy and his invitation to be a part 
of his forever family. For some of you, you've grown up in church, you've been in church for a long time, you've heard some of these stories, maybe you've heard the story of Gideon, but you've never come to understand that it's not by your works, not by your pedigree, not by your church attendance, your giving, what you wear, none of that. It's only because of the grace of God. It's only the work of Jesus that comes to you and demonstrates his love to you even when you're running the other direction and sinning. That's what the story of Gideon is about. God finding a weak man, a weak warrior, and speaking truth down into a hole, right? And this is even better. The wine press was used in the promised land, of course, to press grapes to make wine. And wine in the Old Testament is always a symbol and a sign of God's blessing and provision. So Gideon is down in a hole, trying to thresh wheat, hiding from the Midianites. And he's doing it in an old wine press that must have reminded him of the days when God provided through the land. What God always wanted for his people, provision and blessing, as they said yes to him and followed after him. It was a visceral reminder of Israel and his own disobedience. And yet God comes and meets him in that wine press, in that hole and says, I'm with you and you're my mighty warrior. So what's Gideon's response? Two conversations to finish here. Look at verses 13 and following. So God meets him there, says, you're my mighty warrior. Gideon looks up. I mean, I'd love to see the expression on his face. What? Uh, what are you even talking about? Who, who are you? And, 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 and I love his honesty. Look at verse 13. He says, uh, sir, if the Lord is with us, and here's our question, right? Even when you hear that truth of the gospel over your heart today, if God is so good and the Lord is with us, here's the question, why? Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and he's handed us over to the Midianites. Man, this is honesty. Gideon says, if, if God is so good, and maybe today you would privately say this, if God is so good, if this is all true, if Jesus did for me what you say on the cross, then why does my life stink? Why, why does it feel like God has abandoned us? And I just want you for a second, and this is something maybe go further yourself this week as you read and meditate on the scriptures. I want you to see God's story in verses eight through 10. Just, just circle that. And then the, the same story, Gideon tells a different version of the story in verse 13. God says, Let me, here's my sermon. Um, I rescued you from the Egyptians. I brought you out of Egypt. I, I defeated your enemies. I gave you a land flowing with milk and honey, right? I asked you to follow and listen to me and you left me. And Gideon, same story. Gideon says, well, I've heard all the stories about God doing great things, but he hadn't done anything great for us. And in fact, God has abandoned us. And here's the deal, guys. The world, right, and the enemy himself is telling you a lesser story than the truth. A shadow story, if you will. A false story. And the story is the same story that he began to tell humanity in Genesis 3. Did God really say that? Did God really do that? It's a counterfeit story. That's the story that the world is celebrating and telling each of us. And when we come together like this and we hear from God's word, we're reminded of the true story. 
And we have to be reminded over and over and over again. Our hearts have to hear the truth over and over and over again because we're prone to wonder and forget. And so I just, the juxtaposition here of God saying, here's my version of the story. I rescued you, I redeemed you, I, I defeated your enemies. I just want you to say yes to me. And Gideon going, yeah, we've heard all the stories, but it doesn't seem like they're true. God abandoned us. And some of you feel abandoned. Some of you have experienced abandonment in your own homes, abandonment. And Gideon says, I, I feel completely abandoned. And I want you to see, how does God respond to that? Look at verse 14. This is remarkable. Gideon is basically rebuking God and saying, you, you've abandoned us, you've left us. And the Lord turns to him, right? God turns towards us, even when we're giving him the Heisman and rebuking him and cursing him and saying, you've abandoned me, you've, you've left me to these circumstances. And he says, go with the strength you have. I'm the weakest man in my tribe, I'm the weakest in my family. I'm the weakest man in Israel. And you're telling me to go in the strength that I have. What is that? Okay, and rescue Israel from the Midianites. And then he says, I am sending you. And I do believe that Gideon's heart begins to warm here. God basically absorbs the rebuke, by the way. He doesn't even argue. He just says, I want you to go in your strength. And the strength of Gideon was, was weakness. That's the irony here. He doesn't have any strength in and of himself. And God says, I want you to go and be the rescuer. Gideon's basically going, if only we had another Moses to deliver us from Egypt. If only we had another deliverer. If only we had another person that would say yes to God and, and go on his behalf and, and rescue his people. And God's going, yeah, Gideon, if only, if only we had another rescuer, if only we had another Moses, who, where could I find one that would say yes to me and recognize that it's not their strength, but it's my strength because they know how weak they are. That somehow you saying I'm the weakest man in my tribe and I'm the weakest in my family actually is the platform for God's strength to manifest. That knowing my weakness, that I'm in a hole, that I'm starving, that I feel like I've been abandoned. I feel like I'm the weakest person in Israel is actually a setup for God to come and speak into my life and be strong. And of course, this brings us to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, in my weakness, the power of Christ is made strong. Hmm. Gideon says, okay, wait right here. And he goes and he prepares a goat, and, which would have been a, a a huge sacrifice, you know, of course, in a time of starvation. And, and so he, he gets the goat and he gets some bread and he brings it back for the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, all right, put the goat and the bread and pour the, the, the stew over it. And then takes his staff, the angel of the Lord does, and consumes it and disappears. And Gideon goes, ah, I'm going to die. I've been in the presence of God. I've seen God. I'm going to die. And God says, you're not going to die. Give some grace. And this is a moment just to acknowledge, who is this angel? Well, look at verse 14. The narrator, presumably Samuel, describes the angel of the Lord, not as the angel, but as the Lord. And we're left to surmise that this is Jesus. This is a, what's known as a theophany, a, an appearance of Jesus before his incarnation, which happened 
all throughout the scriptures. And guess where else it happened? The burning bush with Moses and his calling. And look at verse 14 where God says, I am. That must have, something must have clicked in Gideon's heart and mind as an Israelite that, well, wait a second. That's the same thing that God said to Moses, I am. I'm, you tell him that I am sent you. You tell him that I am going to be with you. And then we begin to see these connections between Judges 6 and Exodus 2 and 3, the calling of Moses and the calling of Gideon, the raising up of these two deliverers. And just really quickly for time's sake, I put a few in your, in your notes on the notes section on the app, and I'll put it on the screens here if you want to screenshot it. But if you want to go and study it later this week, it's on the, uh, the sermon app that you can find um, in the notes section. But look at all the connections between the call of Moses and the call of Gideon. Even, even to, to, to Midian, remember Moses flees from Egypt and goes to Midian and sits down by a well in Exodus 2 and contemplates the first 40 years of his life. And now the Midianites are, are back in the story. The angel of the Lord comes and appears who actually turns out to be Jesus himself, a pre-incarnate um, manifestation of his presence and his grace uh, through the burning bush and now uh, under the tree and speaking down into the hole. There's a promise of his presence. There's, there's the desire that God gives for deliverance. I'm going to deliver my people. There's the objection of Moses and Gideon. I can't work. Moses says, I'm so weak. I can't speak. I, there's no way I can do this. Gideon says, I'm the weakest person in all of Israel. And that, that makes them perfect for the job. Somehow our weakness actually like on the resume of God's, uh, you know, prophets and deliverers, number one is I'm weak. Like that's, that's the greatest thing that God wants to see because it's out of that humility and weakness that he goes, perfect. You're perfect because you won't take credit for it. And you won't mistake my power for your power and strength. And, and he commissions them. What's a commissioning? It's a sending. So God says, I'm sending. You tell him, I am sending you. And I am going to be with you. I'm going to give you strength. And then there's this confirmation sign. I'll finish here just because of time, okay? There's this confirming sign. And some of you know the story of Gideon like after his calling. And maybe you didn't know that God spoke down into a hole in all these weak situations and, and just this incredible thing. But Gideon, after all of that and realizing that he's been in the presence of God, you know, God says, you're going to rally the troops. You're going to go to, to war against the Midianites. The Midianites align with all uh, their, their kind of evil partners and come and ride camels and they're, they're, they're staging for war. And Gideon, after all this says, I need you to prove it, God. I just, I, I, I need to know that what you said is true. And so the way he does it, you remember this? He takes a fleece and he puts it out and he says, listen, God, if, if, the, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I'll know that you spoke this to me. And so God obliges and gives him a confirmation sign that this was really me and I'm calling you to deliver my people. And so he goes out the next day and the fleece is, is, is soaking wet. He can wring, wring out the dew, but the ground is dry. And that, you know, you think, well, that's, that's enough, right? And Gideon says, don't, I love this. He says, uh, please don't be angry with me. <laughs> please don't be angry with me. But would you, would you give me one more confirmation? All right, I'm gonna take the fleece and I'm gonna put it out. And this time I want it to be dry and the ground wet. And he does it. And the next day he comes out and the fleece is dry and the ground is wet. 
And this is what's so cool is how many confirmation signs did God give Moses after his calling? Two. Remember, throw down your staff, turns into a serpent, which represents Pharaoh. Pick it back up, which represents his basically power and strength over Pharaoh. Take your hand, put it into your cloak, it's leprous. Take it back out, it's healed, which represents God's healing power over his people. How many confirmation signs does he give to Gideon? Two. And the fleece represents the Midianites. The Midianites came over on camels. You remember they plundered everybody. They had gathered all these camels. They, they would shear camels for wool and for fleeces. So the fleece represents the Midianites. And the dew represents the manna that God would give in the wilderness for provision. And basically this, this whole sign is a confirmation of God's power and his strength over the Midianites and also his, the power and his strength of his calling over Gideon. That in spite of your weakness, um, I'm going to be strong. And the story of Gideon, particularly the calling of Gideon that we study today in Judges 6, reminds us of this bottom line truth, that God doesn't define us by our worst moment. All right, think about Gideon. He's in a hole. He's starving. He's afraid. He says about himself, God has abandoned me and I'm the weakest person in Israel. So maybe there, there was a, a weaker moment and a worse moment for Gideon. I think this is one of the worst moments of his life. And it's in that moment that God defines Gideon as his mighty warrior. So God doesn't define us by our worst moment. He defines us by his best moment. Meaning, what's the best moment of God? Well, I think you could argue that the best moment is the moment of the gospel. Um, as the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the visible work of the invisible God, that through the work of the gospel, namely the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that this is the greatest work and manifestation of God's power on our behalf at the cross and the empty tomb. And that's what God defines us by. And aren't you so glad for that? That God doesn't define you by your worst moment. We define ourselves oftentimes by our worst moments. And we define other people by their worst moments. And we keep a record of wrong for them so that we can, you know, make sure we're above them. Well, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as, you know, the person here because I've, I've got the record right here to show you. But God doesn't do that. God defines us by his best moment, not our worst moment. And the story of Gideon proves that. And we'll continue that together next week. To Christ be the glory. Let's pray together. God, your word says that the spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. That your spirit, spirit clothed Gideon with power. And so I pray for each of my dear friends here today that you would remind us that it's in our weakness that the power of Christ is made strong. That you would help us to remember the one word prayer that you long to hear from your people, help. Would you help us today, especially for those who feel helpless? Would you speak into our situations and circumstances of weakness and remind us that we are not defined 
by our situations, our circumstances, our helplessness, we are defined by you, Jesus. To you alone be the glory today. Amen. you stand as we respond together. He was before there was a light, walked across the pages of time. He who made every
Thank you so much for being with us today. It's a joy to be together. And we'll finish Gideon next week. So come back for part two of Gideon next week. Just a couple things before you go. If you're looking to get connected here, the easiest way to do that today is to go to Connection Point, which is in the courtyard. And we have some teammates there that would love to greet you and help you get connected here and make New City your home. And we would love for that to, to happen. And remember Group Link uh, next week, Sunday the 16th, an easy way to get into groups. You can register today at Connection Point um, before you go, or you can go to the link here on the screens or to newcity.us um, and register for Group Link. If you're looking to um, connect with someone through prayer, uh, if you need prayer in your life, we'd love to be able to do that with you and for you. Uh, so you can take the connect card that's in your seat back in front of you and fill that out, or you can go online to newcity.us slash prayer, and we'd love to be able to pray for you. And today, um, we have a new team that's starting in our church. Uh, they have yellow lanyards on, our care team. Um, it's going to be all throughout the campus, but especially up front after each service to pray. So if there's something in your life that you'd like to pray for, we'd love to be able to do that for you. If there's something you want to respond to the message, if you want to talk about starting a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to do that after the service is up front here and our care team will be available. And then lastly, giving. Uh, so giving for us is an act of worship. It's a response for what God's done uh, for us. And so if you call New City your home, uh, this is a time to give. You can do that online or in the green boxes at each door. Um, you can put your connect card, prayer card, or your offering there. And if you're visiting with us, um, please don't feel obligated to give. We, we would love it if this service could be our gift to you. And we're really glad that you're here and hope you'll, hope you'll return. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a blessing as we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his presence and his mercy and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, New City.